Welcome to the SciDef Cybersecurity Podcast. I'm your host, Raymond Evans, and this is my co-host, Michael Fairweather. We're here to provide you with the cybersecurity news that matters to help you in the cyber realm. We are proud members of the Pod Bros Podcast Network. Check them out at podbros.com. Hey, hey, welcome to episode eight of the SciDef Cybersecurity Podcast. This week, I've got new Soho router security audit uncovers over 60 flaws in 22 models and China suspected in massive breach of federal personal data. What do you have for us this week, Michael? We'll be talking about Facebook Messenger and the location services update for that, as well as FireEye and Visa Pact as a game changer in cybersecurity. Right on. Let's get this week kicked off with Facebook Messenger will finally stop telling people where you are. Absolutely. Last week we talked about how Facebook Messenger um, has been tracking exactly where you are at all times. At all times? At all times. That's no good. Um, whether you wanted them to be or not, or whether you knew about it or not. Um, well, this week, they've come out with an update for that. They are now making the location uh, setting kind of more an, a more upfront feature in the Messenger. You can actually now choose to explicitly send a map of your location or another particular place as a separate message. And there's now going to be a more icon or location pin, which will give you the option to show your location of the person you're messaging with. Um, you will only send a location when you tap on the location pin and then choose to send it as a separate message. So this is a new feature that they're coming out with. The problem is, while that's great, you've still been sending your information, your location to everybody. One of the things that was was updated with this, um, which I found pretty interesting, was that Android users, the message, messenger location was on by default before, where the iOS users prior to the new update was always off. So iOS was a little more secure when it came to that as opposed to the Android. With the new update, we still recommend that you go to your phone settings and go to your Facebook and Facebook Messenger apps and change the location settings on that. Either set it to while using the app or set it to never, um, depending on your preference. While setting it to never, you're never gonna be sharing your location. While using the app, as long as you have it open, you'll be transmitting, but at least then you're going to have a better understanding of when you're sharing your location. Not only do we recommend changing this setting for Facebook, do this for every single one of your apps that has any kind of location-based systems. Um, Instagram had a big problem with this where overnight they had an update and people's locations were given out all across Instagram for every single photo that they had updated. So every app that you have that needs any kind of location or request any kind of location, just turn them all off, not just Facebook. If you're not going to turn them all off, because there are people out there that don't, if you're not going to turn them off, at least look and see what apps are requesting location. Does your calculator really need, a, need to yeah. know your location or your contacts? Well, yeah, it's got to tell you if it's metric and, you know, who else <laughs> uses, um, I don't know. You know what, that's, well, that's, it's probably what somebody was thinking at one point in time. Um, but no, no, it doesn't. It doesn't need to know that. Like, oh, you're in England? You're going to need to know kilometers. It's not miles anymore. You don't need to know I'm in England calculator. So yeah, disable that setting. It's good that Facebook has updated this. It's scary that it wasn't fixed long ago. That means people's information has been out there for months now. And this is an issue that should have really been fixed a long time ago by Facebook. It, sh it shouldn't take privacy concerns popping up. And it shouldn't take companies being scared that their customers are going to run away because of this. This should be thought of at the developer level, really. 
you know, what the ramifications of the implementation of a new feature or service in a platform. Something I've always liked, the idea of, and and I, I feel that this is not something that's used as much, but should be. Your personal data and privacy, when it comes to that, it should be opt-in. It should not be automatically set up to collect or display that. You should you should physically be you know hitting a button saying yes, I, I you know I'm opting in. Well, you do when you agree to the terms and conditions. The problem is that users aren't reading these terms and conditions, and users aren't paying attention to what they're agreeing to. Um, users just click accept and go about their business because you know, reading four or five pages of terms and conditions aren't, isn't something somebody wants to do. The real problem is is the terms and conditions. It should be simplified for users. Um, you shouldn't have to have a lawyer standing over your back every time you go to install a new game or install a new program or sign up for some new service. Yes, they, they should have, they should continue to have the, the detailed terms of agreement, but there should also be a simplified terms of agreement that breaks down everything. A lot of terms and agreements have a lot of jargon in it that people don't understand and they have 12 ways of saying one thing. I think that is a, a huge tactic. I don't understand this triple, quadruple negative that they have in here. You're just like, I don't, what am I reading? <laughs> uh, I just, I find I agree. I'm clicking agree. Exactly. That's what <laughs> happens because terms of agreement are just way too lengthy and way too wordy. It needs to be simplified for the user because ultimately you, when you agree to it, you are opting in. True. I guess I was thinking more along the lines of, you know, how, how when you look at the Android apps um, and the Google Play Store, when you click and you download an app, it pops up and says, you know, going back to the calculator example, we need to access your contact information. We need to access locations. Granted, there's terms and agreements behind that. But it's at least a very kind of basic statement of this is what we're gonna this is what we're requesting access to. Well, initially the Facebook app does have that. It does have the the request for location services and stuff like that. And the users agree to it, not knowing why it's needed. Maybe when apps request uh, those kind of permissions, they should have a breakdown of what those permissions are being used for exactly. Yeah, A more detailed marketplace would be beneficial for users then. It's kind of funny because with the terms of agreement, the terms of agreement are highly detailed. And then when it comes to giving an app permissions, they're not detailed enough. Right. So there's a middle ground that needs to be found there, I would say. And really, the, each app needs to give you a breakdown, like I had said before, of what exactly it's being used for because the calculator might have a legitimate use for the geolocation and you seeing exactly what it's being used for might tell you yes or no. But with uh, the new Android M, a lot of these problems are going to be solved and it's going to be fantastic because like we had talked about before with the Android M, you're able to choose what you do and do not want that app to be able to use. So if you download the Facebook app, and you still don't trust its geolocation and the geotagging of um, items, you can just tell it, no, you don't want the location service to be used, which is fantastic. 
So, speaking of consumer problems, did you hear that Soho performed a security audit that uncovered over 60 flaws in 22 different models of routers? I had heard that. Once again, home routers are at risk. It seems like every single week we are covering how home routers are just the most vulnerable piece of the home network. And it's not old news. It's new news every week. Yes, Every week, something else is being found. So Soho performed a security audit and uncovered 60 vulnerabilities in 22 router models from different vendors, most of which were distributed by ISPs to customers. Again, routers being handed out by internet service providers to customers. I think people just need to stop trusting these internet service providers and their routers. I don't. I buy my own. I got a Nighthawk, baby. Let's hope we're not reporting about that one next week. I know. The researchers performed a manual security review in preparation for a master's thesis in IT security at the Universidad Europea de Madrid in Spain. Do you mean the European University of Madrid in Spain? Yeah, that's the one. They published details about the vulnerabilities they found on a full disclosure security mailing list. The security vulnerabilities range. A couple of them were they allowed bypassing of authentication on the devices, injecting of rogue code into the web-based management interfaces. So the GUI that people access via 192 or the, the 1010 address, as well as reading and writing information on USB storage devices that are attached to the routers, rebooting the devices, and a whole bunch more. The vulnerable models, there's a lot to list. Um, We will be showing them in our show notes, so you can check to see if your model is on there. I will say this. Two of the routers that were on there were given to me by my ISP when I had Vodafone a couple years ago. Yeah, they had mentioned in the research that many of the models that were distributed were from Vodafone. And the models range from Huawei and Astroia to Zexel. Models of routers I haven't personally used, but from the Huawei company, they've had other devices such as cell phones that have popped up some security concerns. So I generally wouldn't trust anything from them anyway. Yeah, unfortunately I had to. So the research had focused on routers that were given by ISPs to customers in Spain. And they say some of the same models were likely distributed by ISPs in other countries as well. So 12 of the tested routers were vulnerable to cross-site request forgery, and they made it possible to change the DNS configuration using this technique. So they're able to redirect some of the user's traffic and intercept that, which isn't good at all. No. Check our list in the show notes. And if you have one of these routers, we strongly suggest that you go out and purchase your own router. One of the scary things about this attack was the web-based management interface is only accessible through the LAN. So from the user accessing it from their home computer to a 192 address. However, one of the attacks allowed the attackers to access this graphical user interface from the internet. It it bridged the internet and the LAN together and gave the attackers the ability to change configurations in the person's router. Wow. Direct. Wow. That's something else. We had mentioned this before in the report, um, but I just want to hit on it. Uh, a, A really scary 
part of this is the ability for the attackers to edit stuff on the um, connected storage devices on the routers. This allowed attackers to read, write, or delete files on there. So they could easily have put something on there, such as uh, a TCP dump type program to monitor all the traffic on the network and monitor mode, and then to send the traffic back to the attacker or something like Netcat and give themselves the ability to, to freely open a backdoor onto the network and be able to access other computers from there. So definitely if you have one of these routers, get rid of it because you are opening yourself up to attackers to be able to come on and do whatever they want on your network. I had two of those routers. The ones that were able to do that, those were uh, the Hawaii ones. A lot of these companies who provide these routers, they were saying that before this wasn't really that big of a problem. They never really saw routers as a target for attackers. However, with all these flaws being found in uh, home routers, routers are becoming a huge target now. Yeah. I mean, why trick somebody into downloading or clicking on something to give yourself a backdoor when you can attack the router and give yourself a backdoor and people will never know that you're there? Yeah. You can't perform security scans on your router. So that's a huge problem. Your antivirus isn't going to catch somebody sitting on your router. They're, they're not going to be able to see it because the antivirus only scans your computer itself, the main operating system. So the best thing for individuals to do if they suspect they've been compromised and can't change the router, look and see if your router is one of the ones that is able to have its firmware changed to something such as DDWRT. It's a more secure operating system for your router and will greatly increase your cybersecurity posture. Not only that, but monitor the traffic on your network. You should create a baseline of your traffic anyway, so you know what's normal on your home network and what isn't normal. So if you do perform a security audit on your home network or if you're a small business, you should be performing a baseline and coming up with an idea of what is normal in your network. Yeah. So so if you're a small business and you have one of these routers, you can check to see if you have suspicious activity. Because if you have a point of sale system and you're sending all that data out and you have one of these vulnerable routers, then attackers are just going to be siphoning off your information and the information of your customers. Absolutely. Do you, any, do you have anything to add about this, Michael? Any suggestions? Any any tips? I think one of the best things you can do is most most routers do have settings to be able to access their the user interface wirelessly or plug directly in. I would recommend turning off the wireless access to that. This might not help for this particular situation, but in the long run, if you have to plug into your to your router in order to make changes, you're making it harder for other people to be able to access it in the long run. This is true. Speaking of network vulnerabilities, did you hear China is suspected in a massive breach of federal personal data? I did. They are suspected of breaking into the computer networks of the U.S. government personnel office and getting identifying information for of at least 4 million federal workers. They're also suspected of breaking into the Interior Department as well. A big part of this that people should know is not only is it current employees, but it's also employees from the past as well. A lot of ex-government workers might look at this and say, oh, well, I'm not affected by this because I am no longer employed by the, the federal government. But they have to know that their data was compromised as well. Yeah. Hackers are believed to be based in China said Senator Susan Collins, a Maine Republican. 
And it's also been said that the FBI is conducting an investigation to identify how and why this occurred. Collins had also said that the breach was yet another indication of foreign power probing successfully and focusing on what appears to be data that would identify people with security clearances, which is kind of scary. Yeah. However, a spokeswoman from the Chinese embassy in Washington called such accusations not responsible and counterproductive. I would like to know why they think that's not responsible and counterproductive. I, I personally would think that letting individuals know that their uh, personal information has been compromised is very responsible and productive because yeah. now people can do things to monitor their credit, monitor their bank account, and, and prevent their identity be, from being stolen. It's it's really hard for cyber attacks conducted across countries because it's 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 hard to track down these these kind of attacks um, to find their true source because you know people are hopping from network to network they could be using proxies and things like that so it's kind of it's kind of tricky to say exact locations if you work for federal government check your credit history and check for any kind of strange things because this data that they stole could be used to impersonate who they are and could gain credit cards and stuff like that under their name so definitely check to make sure that you weren't one of these victims and that you're not affected. The agency did, however, say that they are offering credit monitoring and identity theft insurance for 18 months to individuals who were affected. Yeah. The National Treasury Employees Union, which represents workers in 31 federal agencies, said it is encouraging members to sign up for the monitoring as soon as possible. This isn't the first time, though, that they've seen a breach. Back in November, a former DHS contractor had said that the private files of more than 25,000 workers and thousands of other federal employees had been compromised as well. And as everybody else knows, we've seen this kind of thing also happen to the IRS recently. So it's a, it's a trend that is a scary trend. Yeah, actually using that information with the IRS for financial gain by um, obtaining tax return information and posing as taxpayers, possibly getting money from the U.S. government while posing as you know a legitimate uh, citizen. The Department of Homeland Security says it has an intrusion detection system called Einstein, which screens all federal internet traffic to identify potential threats. However, they don't know why Einstein didn't see this threat. Um, apparently, they didn't detect the breach until a large number of records had been copied and removed. Wow. Sounds like a failure on Einstein's part. Not so smart now, are you, Einstein? I guess that's a, a new uh, thing we can say to people in the cybersecurity world. Call them Einstein, but need, mean it in the negative. Be like, man, you're a, you're a regular Einstein. Yeah. Oh, thank they'll, you. No. Think, yeah. No, no, no. The Einstein that Homeland Security had. <laughs> yeah, the Department of Homeland Security, though, is, con is continuing to monitor the network's for any suspicious activity and is working aggressively with the affected agencies to conduct investigation to assess the extent of the intrusion. Cybersecurity expert Morgan Wright from the Center for Digital Government said Einstein certainly appears to be a failure at this point and said that they would that the government would be better off outsourcing their security to the private sector where there is at least some accountability. 
And he makes a good point. In events like this, when you have a computer monitoring your network, when you have an artificial intelligence that you've developed to identify threats on your network, who is to blame when that AI fails? You know, who holds the accountability when millions of records are stolen? You know, who's to blame here? Is it the government to blame or is it the developers of the, the system or is it the people who set up the system and create the rules when they set the system up? What do you think? I'm not really sure who would actually be at blame for this. While Einstein did fail, who is to say that the techniques used weren't something new or even something that wasn't used, hasn't been seen, well, I guess, so just something that hasn't been seen before. You know, the details haven't really been revealed about how it happened. It's just that it happened. So I think with more information, we'd better be, be able to better answer that question. But as of right now, yeah, I really, I, w I wouldn't be able to place blame. The blame is on the hackers. It's their fault. Ultimately, yes, but <laughs> there there's a deeper level of, of blame here and there's a deeper level of accountability that needs to occur. Agreed. Something something did go wrong. Um, who with who is actually to blame? I, I wouldn't be able to to speculate on that. But it was Tom. Tom in IT. <laughs> He's fired. Tom. That's always Tom. That it is. <laughs> uh, a bunch of the federal agencies are apparently rushing to install two-factor authentication with smart cards, though, which is a good step for them. That's a step in the right direction. And also, they've also reduced the length of time for passwords to exist. Instead of them creating new passwords every 90 days, they are now being required to change their password every 60 days. All right. So that's another step in the right direction as well. So all you have to say about it is all right. <laughs> all right. Well, all right. I mean, there. I like the words you just said. <laughs> words, words were good. No, that's good. I mean, some kind of two, you know, two-factor authentication is definitely a good thing. Whether it's something you have, something you know, or something you, you are making sure that there's at least two different types. That's a good thing. So I agree with that. And having a passwords expire as often as that instead of 90 and, and 90 days doing 60 instead is also a good thing. I mean, it's, you know, somebody grabs password hashes. Hopefully it's going to take a while to brute force them. And at that point, you've changed your password anyway. The security solution that they implemented, um, Einstein, I, I've personally never heard of it before. It sounds like it sounds like a security solution that was custom made for federal agencies. In this event of this failure, I would say there needs to be a defense in depth for these kind of security solutions that identify these threats. You can't rely on one security solution to try to identify the, the threats. You know, they need to have uh, their custom made one and then a commercial off the shelf one to be able to identify these vulnerabilities and threats because there may be something in a commercial security solution that was overlooked in the development of the Einstein, but then there may be something in Einstein that was looked over in the commercial security solution. So I would say implementing uh, two separate types of security solutions in this kind of environment would be the best thing for them. Absolutely. I agree with that. Again, defense in depth is a good thing. With all the threats and the recent attacks that we've seen, one company is doing something to proactively prevent attacks from affecting their customers. That's right. Visa has announced a, that they are creating a new contract with a cybersecurity firm, FireEye, um, to help protect their customers. Um, and 
It's being said that this is a game changer in cybersecurity going forward. Um, FireEye and Visa announced they intend to work together to create tools and services to help merchants and issuers protect against advanced cyber attacks. This deal is actually first of its kind, and it's allowing merchants and issuers to quickly detect and respond to attacks against their IT and payment infrastructure. And through this, FireEye will operate the web-based service um, that provides an improvement over current industry practices like sharing threat intelligence via email and Visa's network security is going to be more policed by FireEye. So they're going to have that defense in depth with their own information now, their own kind of security setup, and also having FireEye there as well, helping them out even more. That's a great thing for users. Anybody that uses Visa is stands to be a little safer when it comes to their their security. Yeah, this partnership is actually a really, really good idea. And I am excited to see if other banks and other credit unions um, team up with more cybersecurity firms and um, cybersecurity related services. Because it, it'd be really cool to see, you know, Visa with security provided by FireEye, you know, Bank of America partners with Norton. Um, Kind of like sponsorship type deals, you know. You see, you go in and you see see the bankers with with patches on on their jackets with with the different cybersecurity companies that are they're partnered with them. So, like NASCAR. Uh, I didn't or, want to go to NASCAR because I'm not I, I'm not a fan of them. But yeah, kind of like NASCAR, you know. You just see the banks plastered with these cybersecurity firms logos. <laughs> uh, Formula One, then. I, I, yeah, there we go. Formula One. <laughs> And NASCAR is American. Whether you like it or not, it's American. It is so American. It has its roots in bootlegging alcohol. What's more American than that? But yeah, um, in a lot of these realms and a lot of these uh, different markets, cybersecurity is really considered one of the most underaddressed issues. Like we had said before, you know, at many of these companies, if you're doing good, what are we paying you for? And if there's a security breach, well, what are we paying you for? Why are we giving you money? Um, cybersecurity is something that needs to be looked at in a, a greater depth in corporate America. Yeah. It's something that affects millions and millions and millions of people. And when something affects so many people at such a great level, it needs to be something that's at the forefront of CEOs' minds, yeah. especially with the increase of emerging threats that, that we've seen. You know, 2014 was voted the, the worst year for malware. 2015 isn't looking any better so far. And in fact, <laughs> 2015 is looking like the year of breaches, if anything. So 2015 will be the new winner? Well, no, 2014 is the year of malware. 2015 is the year of breaches. Okay, so 2016 will go back to malware, but the breach Probably. will breach now. We'll go back to malware next year. Yeah, that's that's how we're gonna do it. We're gonna <laughs> give them each their own time to shine. There you go. What do you think about this merger? I, I definitely think it's a great thing. Um, I I think it's I think the fact that it's happening means that the discussion is taking place at the higher level. They're looking at what's happening in the world and what's happening to um, not only businesses, but also governments. And they're seeing what is taking place with that, the attacks that are happening. And Visa's kind of stepping up and saying, hey, we're gonna we're gonna make this better. What you know, let's make this better. So that's that's great. I definitely think it's a great thing. Um, like I said, it means that conversations are happening. 
I hate that the conversations are happening. It's, it's a two, two-sided coin for this. I hate the conversations are happening because of the reason the conversations are happening. I hate that they're happening because attacks are happening. I love that people are talking about it more. It's because So they're looking into it, but again, they're talking about it more because the attacks are happening. I, I agree with you. This is um, These are conversations that should have been had a long time ago. Yeah. These Not just are, because something was happening. These are things that should have been thought of at the advent of the great internet rush. You know, when everybody was putting themselves online for for consumers, this is this is a conversation that should have been happening then in the early two thousands. Yeah. Agreed. Heist <laughs> better late than never. And on that note, this week we covered new Soho router security audit uncovering 60 flaws in 22 models and determined that if you have one of them, get rid of it (laughs) or check to see if you've been compromised. China suspected massive breach of federal personal data. If you think you're one of the people that was affected or you get notified that you were affected, monitor your credit. Make sure somebody is not out there trying to uh, get a credit card or a house in your name. Oh, that'd be expensive. Or if they do get a house and you can afford it, just walk up to the door and take the house from them. Because <laughs> technically, technically it's yours. It's your house. We also covered why FireEye and Visa Pact is a game changer in cybersecurity. Because two big companies getting together to protect their user data is a fantastic thing and more companies need to do that. And we also covered Facebook Messenger will finally stop telling people where you are. Privacy is a good thing, people. Make sure that all your apps that require location, if you are not going to be using the location, have the location services turned off. What's our security tip of the week there, Michael? Uh, This week we're gonna talk about uh, turning off your wireless access point when it's not in use, especially with the summer coming up and people going on more vacations and spending more time away from their house. A lot of times people forget that by leaving their wireless access point on, your wireless router, your modem, you are inviting people to get into your network. You're basically inviting people into your home and you're not even there to, to, to uh, you know, check and make sure you want them there. So if you're going to be gone from your house for an extended period of time, um, with the wireless access point off, hackers do not have access to your home network. And better yet, don't just power it off, unplug it. That's the best thing you can do. Unplug it, put it in a box, bury it in your backyard. And then when you get home, you know your your home network was safe. Then when you get home, buy a new router. Because <laughs> your old one was hacked. Fantastic tip this week, Michael. I was your host, Raymond Evans, and he was my glorious co-host. Michael Fairweather. Stay safe. Keep your network safe. And have a week.